So she's going to come to speak. She's got a word on her heart, and it's going to be great. And doesn't she just float? This morning, as she was walking to the chapel, I said to Gavin, she's just floating. She's floating. Anyways, there you are. That's, I feel Hello. like one Thank of the you. Von Trapp family people. Like, I should be flitting and floating and flying or something, you know. Uh, I don't think that particular word has ever been used to describe me before, so thank you very much for that. This is not my natural habitat. Uh, definitely not, definitely not my natural habitat. You can see because I've left half of my display over here. But when Kim and Gavin asked me to share in chapel... How can you say no to an opportunity to speak about God's faithfulness? And I feel like I don't even need to say anything yet this morning because we've already heard it. That praise and worship was fantastic. Thank you for this worship team today. I feel like I've been in the presence of God for the last 30 minutes and before that too, but especially in the last 30 minutes. And I know that, you know, Preachers of the word like to do things in thirds. Uh, President Demchuk, you know, TV series are done in thirds. Good sermons are done in thirds. So it's a good thing I'm not preaching today because I have one. (laughs) Kind of like the city slickers, you know, like, and I'm probably going to reference a movie and a person that most of you don't know, Billy Crystal, and he's asking the one thing, right? So... I hope we get there. Today we're going to talk about the one thing. And we're going to look at Psalm 1 for the one thing. So if you would turn to Psalm 1, if you have a physical copy of the Bible or a digital copy, anything is great. As we read through Psalm 1, let's just think about what that one thing is. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you watch over the way of the righteous. And Father, we pray this morning that you would allow us to read your word, to delight in it, and to meditate on it. May you speak to us this morning through it. Amen. So Psalm 1 sets the stage for the entire collection of the Psalms. So it's a good thing we're studying the Psalms and that Psalm 1 is in that collection. It is a preview that sums up everything that the rest of the Psalms will teach about. It tells us that the study of God's word is the foundation of a meaningful and prosperous life. It tells us that meditating on the law of the Lord results in some 
pretty amazing things. We're going to learn about causal relationships this morning. I know, big term, right? That's the uh, English department coming out in me. It It also shows us that what happens if we don't? If we don't hold God's word dear, if we don't delight in it, and if we don't meditate on it. Someone presents us with two choices in terms of how we live. The first choice is the way of the godly. And the second choice is the way of the wicked. It also tells us what the consequences are of those choices. When we were raising our kids, we always let them suffer the consequences of their own choices when it wasn't life-threatening. If we always bailed them out from their consequences, there was no learning. Learning happens when you suffer the consequences of choices, bad or good. Now, our kids were different that way. You know, if we told our son not to touch something, it was hot, he would say, oh, okay, it's hot, I won't touch it. Our daughter, on the other hand, God bless her, my grace grower, don't touch it, Caitlin, it's hot. Oh, how hot, right? Consequences. But I tell you what, she learned the lessons quicker (laughs) than our son did. This morning, I want to focus on what happens when we choose to delight in the law of the Lord and the good consequences of what happens when we do that and how choosing to meditate on God's word brings us into fruitful, vibrant, thriving, and prosperous living. I don't want to just exist. I don't want to just get through the day. I don't want to drag myself into my office every morning and say, oh, I'm here. I want to thrive. How do we do that? What do we do? What do we need to grab hold of in order to thrive, in order to live a life that is worth celebrating? And so, verse 2 tells us, we know, blessed is the man who, what? The first part of verse 2, who delights in the law of the Lord. And delight here means to be mindful and attentive, to keep and protect, to treasure something to be preoccupied with it, to be inclined towards, to really grab hold of God's word. In all of these positive terms for choosing to behave in a particular way. This is intentional living. It's not just something that happens. This is a daily choice, a weekly, a yearly, a a long life choice to delight in God's word. This is not something that we're just waiting for. I mean, there's a song, you know, waiting on the world to change. You know what? It doesn't just change. We have to do something. We can't just wait for something to happen. We need to be involved. We need to activate in order to get that change to happen. And so this is intentional. We delight in God's word. It's an intentional choice. The second half of verse 2 says, And on his law he meditates day and night. Biblical meditation is about reflecting. And what I know about learning and learning processes is that reflection is a pretty key piece for how we learn. We need to reflect on things that we have done. We need to reflect on things that we are doing 
so that we are mindful of what is happening. Again, intentional. We need to reflect on. That's what we mean by we say meditate on God's word. What does the scripture have to say? What does it mean for us and how can we apply it? It's not just something that we read. We have to do it. Right? We can't just let it sit there. In Joshua 1.8, it says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will have a prosperous and successful life. That causal relationship. The cause and effect. We do it and then we have a prosperous life. But we need to do something. Good intentions don't cut it. Okay? Like me and running. (laughs) I like to say that I like to run. That would be a lie. (laughs) I enjoy being in the outdoors. And I enjoy doing activities and things that are outdoors. When we lived in Lithuania, there was a park that I would run through and walk through and sit in probably three to four times a week for five years. And I walked through this park. We're going to see a series of pictures. I would be there in seasons, summer, fall, winter, spring, hail, rain, snow, didn't matter. I was in this park. And this park has probably 150 to 200 sculptures in it. And every season, they would look a little bit different. And I would run by them, and I would never take my iPod when I was running through this park. Because I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear the thousands of birds sitting in these trees. I wanted to hear what was happening when the wind blew through the leaves. It was God speaking to me. And some days, I would just go and I would sit in the park. And I learned a lot about Lithuanian culture. By watching people in the park. But if I never went, I would never learn those things. It wouldn't be enough for me to sit in my apartment and say, oh, I wish. I had to do something. Okay? So, good intentions don't cut it. But what happens when we do certain things? One day when I was in the park, I came upon a tree... In the winter. So it was winter. I was running through the park and I noticed a particular tree. And it had, can we advance to the slide with the snow and the one there? I don't know if you can see it in this tree. The next picture shows it a little bit better. This is winter. This is January. Every tree in the park has dropped its leaves. But this one. The night before, we had had a snow, uh, an ice storm, and it made everything in the park glisten, and it was fantastic. And I went out to take a picture because I knew I'd been following. I know, middle it's just going to sound a bit weird. I've been following the life of this tree for five years. It did this every winter, just this one. And because I'm an information junkie, and because I need to know things, you know, inquiring minds want to know. I went home and I looked it up. It's called, there's actually a term, marcescence. 
Some ecologists think it happens with young oak trees that are growing in infertile ground. They hang on to their foliage long enough for it to be a benefit when they need it most. They drop their leaves in the spring so that the decomposed leaves release the much-needed nutrients into the soil just as the tree is beginning a new season of growth. Talk about self-preservation. This young tree knew exactly what it needed in order to sustain life, and it did what was necessary to make sure that it happened. It intentionally hung on to its leaves. The thing that he, that the tree knew would give it life. This tree looked very different from the other trees in the snow. No other tree in the park has leaves on it. No other, there are thousands and thousands of trees, just this one. It dared to be different. It was prepared to hang onto those leaves even as the fierce winds blew. Remember the night before I took this picture, we had an ice storm. Branches were on the ground. Trees were split in half. This tree still had leaves on it. It hung on to what it knew would provide food in a season of growth. And so I want to talk about what kinds of things do we hold on to that give us life that we need in a season of growth. About four weeks ago, we arrived in Abbotsford from Lithuania. In early July, we had shipped 13 carefully packed boxes from Lithuania to Abbotsford. And I mean carefully selected items that represented the sum total of our 19 years of living overseas. 13 boxes. And so every piece in these boxes was, well, do we need this? Do we not need this? And Kirk can attest to this. I packed these boxes like a puzzle. Every little nook and cranny had a piece in it. And when we unpacked everything, and thank you to the three gentlemen that helped us, helped, carried the boxes up the stairs for us. As I unpacked these boxes, I'm looking at these little treasures, things that we had bought when we were in Kenya, things that we purchased when we were in Indonesia, things that meant something to us when we lived in Lithuania. Each piece had a story. And so it allowed us to turn our apartment into a home. Because everything, pictures of family, pictures of former students, was there. And it carried so much significance and weight for us. And I couldn't even imagine that nothing broke. Everything arrived perfectly intact. And then I picked this out of one of the boxes. Okay. This is a bag. Ladies and gentlemen, of pine cones. Seriously, think about it. (laughs) Carefully selected items that we couldn't get anywhere else in the world, right? (laughs) I pulled the the bag out of the box and I burst out laughing. Because... 
you really don't know where in Abbotsford you're going to be able to get a pine cone. (laughs) And then I began to cry as I remembered what these meant. Our first Christmas that we spent in Kenya in the the year 2000 was one that was very different from any of the ones that I had spent growing up in Ontario or in B.C. We had brought a few Christmas things from home, but there were obviously things that were missing. And in order to create a sense of home, I began to collect pine cones. Well, we lived on the equator. We lived in Nairobi. And pine trees were very few and far between. And the first pine cone that I collected, I collected from Mount Kenya because it was at a higher altitude. Pine trees grew up there. And I collected them. It was November of 2000. And I came back to Nairobi with a basket full of pine cones. And from then on, I began to collect pine cones. These were treasures that God gave me. These were little gifts of his reminder that he was with me, that he would provide everything I needed. And I collected them from, I don't know, Kirk thought I was crazy. Sometimes I would carry them home in my pocket from a day trip to Nita or from other countries we had visited. And so I've got a collection of pine cones from all the places that we have lived in the world and all the places where God has given me promises. And so these seemingly insignificant little treasures began to carry incredible significance and meaning for me. The first one, and actually there is one in this jar from Canada, before we even left Ontario to go to Nairobi in 1999. The first verse that God gave us was Isaiah 30, verse 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That was a verse that was prayed over us at the altar when we were trying to decide what our next step would be before we left for Kenya. That was a 15-year promise between the time that we knew we were going and the time we went. And God sustained us and gave us everything we needed in order to make that journey. Many times over the last 19 years, we have thought about that verse. We have laid on the floor in the dark in in houses asking God, please tell us one more time, why are we here? And God always, always was faithful. The next verse is from Psalm 91, and I feel at this moment as I was going over my notes this morning, that I really need to read the whole psalm. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. 
A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked if you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge. Then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. This was a verse that was given to me for my daughter, my grace grower. I was walking through a Christian bookstore before, it was about two years before we even left for Kenya that first time. She would have been five. And I found a candle with an angel on it, and that verse, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And God dropped it in my heart. He said, this is for Caitlin. She's going to need it. And she did. But God protected her. He protected her through break-ins in our home when she was lying under her bed praying that the next person that walked through her bedroom door would be her mom. These are things that we cherish, that we hold on to. And it seems like a silly pine cone, but it's God's promise. And so I keep it. Because I know that God is faithful, as we sang this morning already. The second, the next verse is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This was a verse that was given to me when I lost the eyesight in my right eye. And I thought that my career as a missionary was going to be over because there were going to be some things I wouldn't be able to do. And God said, but my grace is sufficient. You don't need anything else. You will be perfectly equipped and skilled for what I call you to do. You don't need that sight in that eye. And so I keep this pine cone. And then in Deuteronomy 31.6, Joshua 1 and 9 Say the same thing. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Interestingly enough, this comes on the heels of Joshua 1.8 as it talks about meditating on God's word. That's another causal relationship. Meditate on God's word. Be strong and courageous. And this was given to me as we were transitioning between Kenya and Indonesia, and very significant transition for us. I had known when I was 18 years old that I would be going to Kenya. I stood at the front of the church, and God dropped that into my heart when I was 18. I had not yet met Kirk, but I knew that God was calling me to Kenya. And we spent 15 years in preparation. I didn't know it was going to take that long. After we were married, 15 years later, God called us to Kenya. And I knew that it was the place for us, even though that there were so many different obstacles in the way. And then God said, okay, you're done there. And I'm going to call you to Indonesia now. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I spent my whole life preparing for Kenya. How could I ever love anybody more than I've loved the people in Kenya that I've worked with? And God said, be strong and courageous. I am going with you, right? 
I will be with you wherever you go. And if you need to love people, I will allow you to love people. doesn't matter where they are from. Kenya, Indonesia, Lithuania. I'm like, Lithuania. <laughs> Is it God's idea to take me to every uh, you know, small country that I'd never heard of before? Be strong and courageous. And then this last one that I want to share with you. For here. Oddly enough, as we were preparing to come to summit, Jeremiah 29, 4, 5. The God of Israel says to all the exiles, now I'm not saying that Abbotsford is exile, right? It's pretty darn good. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Multiply there and do not decrease. We don't know how long we will be here. You don't know. But let me tell you something. You cannot live a temporary existence. You have to put down your tent pegs. You have to live a full, vibrant life. You have to thrive while you are here. Even if... You are here for a week. Even if you are only here, you might be here for six years, you know? Thrive while you're here. These pine cones gave me life. And they represent what I clung to in the wind, in the desert, in the highs and in the lows. They provided what I needed to sustain life. And I keep them now as a reminder of God's faithfulness. And they remind me to meditate day and night on his word. So back to Psalm 1, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, in verse 6. This is such a contrast to the destiny of the wicked. But the wicked will perish, right? Two choices. Remember at the beginning, live like the righteous, live like the wicked. There are consequences to the choices that you make. And we need to be intentional about how we live life. We need to be intentional about what we do with the word of God. We need to be planted, okay? This tree is, you can see, this is, I took it a week before I left Lithuania, so the end of August. It's taller than the other trees that were all planted at the same time. It knew what it needed to sustain life. I heard a quote, I read a quote a few months ago, and you may have uh, read it too. When you find yourself in darkness, it is easy to think that you are buried. It is easy to be overwhelmed by the darkness and to think that you have been buried. But maybe... You have been planted. Same darkness, different perspective. Maybe you've been planted and it's time to grow. And what do you need to sustain your growth? What do you need for life, for prosperous life? The word of God. You cannot live a prosperous life without delighting in God's word, without meditating on it. And so... What do you need? I want to challenge you 
to hang on to the things that give you life. Pine cones. Who knew? And yet, so much significance because why they represent the word of God and God's faithfulness. So as we close, I just want you to to leave today thinking about how you are going to live intentionally this week. What verses will give you life? And when do you need to let go of things in order to grow? Okay. Thank you.